Welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Oberhuber, and I'm your host. My guest today is Jeffrey Kosker. Hi. Hello, Wanaka. Thanks for having me. So happy you took the time, and we've been planning this since a long time. So I'm really happy to have you here. Mm, it's good to be here. So we might just as well start with the big question that I like to ask is where are you today and how from your from the point of view of your of mind so um you said where am I today from the point of view of my mind was that correct Lanka? yes yes okay yeah well thank you yeah and it's been uh We've been communicating for a while, and finally, the spirit has brought us together. So it feels uh, feels like the right timing. Yeah, um, I find myself in uh, Nevada right now, and you know, today today is an interesting day for me. I uh, I woke up uh, I wake up quite early, and you know this this path of the Course in Miracles and following guidance, you know, is so clear. And I forget at times, you know, I get caught up with, I may think I should do something or have to mow the lawn or take care of some earthly responsibilities. But today I had quite an uh, interesting morning where I kind of let everything drop away. And I knew we had this um, at 1130. But aside from that, I just really tried to tune in. And I started uh, writing some some uh, correspondence with some of the uh, the inmates that I communicate with. And it was the first time I've had an overwhelming activation, I call it, where my whole body is kind of vibrating, uh, which I call uh, vibrating with purpose when I am in touch or in alignment with, you know, what the spirit wants for me in the moment. And today it's been a while since I felt that kind of um, significant activation where it was sustained for a long period of time this morning as I continued in my function and you know, it was just a, it's just a flag along the way for me of the spirit saying, yeah, I'm still here. You know, I've had some profound experiences that led me to this path and led me to being in Nevada. And, you know, I had spent some time in spiritual community. But, you know, it always comes back to the same basic thing that am I listening in the moment? Am I identifying with that voice of the ego and false responsibility and all those other things? Or am I actually listening to what he would have me do in the moment? And fortunately today, uh, you know, that's where I'm at. You know, I had uh, I had quite an experience of just really sinking in and then listening and following. And, you know, most days I do. Um, I, I'm fortunate to be in a place in my life where I can I do this full time. I don't uh, I don't have a, a job as the world would have it. I did until I was about 39 years old. That was eight years ago. But I don't have those type of responsibilities anymore, uh, you know, turning my life over to um, first the 12 steps and then uh, to A Course in Miracles uh, and following that internal guide has absolutely meant everything to me. So uh, my state of mind is great today. You know, I feel very connected and that's, you know, the integration piece is what I work towards, you know, and some days are better than others. You know, I'm not in a, in a consistent high you know, state like that, like some people that I've uh, had the fortunate, I was, I was fortunate to be around. Um, but you know, the practice becomes uh, continuing to hear that voice to, to, you know, to elevate my mind to a place where I can, 
hear the clarity and then, you know, feel like I'm being done through rather than, you know, trying to <laughs> do things the way I've done them in the past. So. Now, the second part of the question was, how did you get here? Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, so as I shared, um, you know, my path started about eight years ago. And uh, I had never heard of A Course in Miracles. <clears throat> I had never really practiced anything uh, to do with spirituality. I was pretty caught up in the world with um, materialism, and uh, I had the same uh, job. I worked in a family business for uh, 20, 20 some odd years, and so I was 39 when uh, my shift happened, and it was drugs and alcohol that led me to a uh, what they call in, in the books uh, an incomprehensible demoralization, you know, where I got to my knees and I was able to surrender, and, you know, I didn't know anything of that I was allegiant to a voice in my head that was trying to kill me. <laughs> and it was so clear to everyone around me. But it was uh, it was during that time uh, I was living on the East Coast and uh, I had a deep surrender. I went and I asked those three words, which I, uh, I fought for so long not to say. And it was, I need help. And my father was the first one to show up. And it wasn't long after I was in a recovery facility in the, the woods of Connecticut where, uh, you know, I was introduced to some, uh, the 12 steps and a spiritual path. And I just really was ready. You know, when I saw, you know, that there was another way, that there was a way out, that things could be better as a course, you know, there's got to be a better way. I took to it like, you know, people back East used to say, I took to it like a duck to water. I just, I was all in and I was that way with everything in my life, you know, for moments I would be, you know, full speed in one direction, but now my direction was turned towards uh, inward towards this journey. And it was very, it was very quick for me. Uh, two weeks into this recovery facility, I, uh, I had a profound experience, which I would later read in the course of miracles is revelation. And from that moment, I, uh, nothing was ever the same. You know, I never went back to work. I left on a Friday and uh, I never returned to my, my normal life. I stayed on the East Coast for about a year to repair some of the relationships, the close ones, my brother and my parents. And then I moved on. I, uh, I was being called to something, you know, much different. And I spent time in spiritual community. I got married in spiritual community. I traveled the world with some of the people there. And then a few years ago, I started hearing uh, prison ministry in my mind. And so I shared that with the ones I trusted. And it has led me to uh, to Nevada. I actually was, I was looking, <laughs> looking to go to California, but the ones I joined with, they weren't hearing that. And the spot I wanted to pick, fortunately, I didn't go because <laughs> it's literally burnt down now. Uh, but the ones I trusted were hearing Nevada and we, we came out here and we visited for a day and we found, uh, I found a place out here. And so that's where my journey began with this, uh, prison ministry. And I've been traveling the country doing that. And, uh, that's kind of how I got here, I guess, all by the, uh, the surrender to the spirit. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. 
so we might want to look at your prison ministry because that's something that only i don't know i don't know that many people who work in prison ministry i have heard of some though and spoken to some so i'd like to hear more about it sure i uh so i was actually at a course in miracles convention in uh san francisco uh, i was there in support of uh david hoffmeister who i lived with for quite a few years and while i was there is when i i started to hear this and i had actually met this guy joe wolf who did some of this back um when he was around but he was from florida and i had met him actually the same weekend i met david hoffmeister in manhattan at a course of miracles convention seven years ago but this one was in san francisco and i had started to hear it and then people came up to me and they they were they started saying hey i hear you're gonna take over joe wolf's ministry and i was like really <laughs> like, you know so my reflections were talking to me and telling me what i didn't know yet so it was quite an experience to have that happen but it was uh it was a little while later that um a prisoner from ohio um wrote to david and i just felt a connection with this guy his name is dale dale crow and he's serving uh over 20 years in uh, chillicothe correctional institution in ohio so I wrote to him and uh, that's when I started to explore these ideas and share them with David and the ones around me. And it all started with my relationship with Dale. You know, we started, you know, talking daily, exchanging letters, and then a fellowship grew up and grew up around him. And I was able to start visiting him. So I'm actually going out again in two weeks. I've been out. I go out every two months and it's expanded to texas and indian indiana and in the surrounding areas of ohio because i'm able to do one-on-ones in other states in nevada where i live i'm able to bring the message into a classroom but i can't speak one-on-one -on -one to the uh, individual inmates so nevada is kind of reserved for that which is opening up uh again since the covid but the covid was a blessing because i was able to create these one-on-one -on -one relationships with the um the ones in Ohio, London, Ohio, Chillicothe, Ohio, Texas, and all the surrounding areas. And, you know, but like I said, it all started with, you know, Dale, when, when he calls, we have calls pretty much every day. And when he calls, we just go directly into what's in the mind, you know, just like we were living in a community. He just happens to be in a prison right now. And uh, I write on my website that he treats it like a monastery. You know, he's reading the course daily he actually now is head of programming in the entire prison he has two three classes a week where people come in to hear his teachings teaching what he would learn and so i do the same thing with with dale and you know we just go straight into what's on our mind i'll say hey this is where i'm at whether it's something with you know it doesn't matter with my wife or with a relationship i have here when i speak from the heart to him it just resonates. He's like, I'm going through the same thing with, you know, someone else in the prison. And then we were able to, you know, start to say, okay, what's, and then we look to the course for the solution or whatever comes to us. And we pray together, you know, really this path has become for me. Uh, I heard this in Brazil when I was in Brazil with, with actually David and Francis who had been with the ministry for a long time. And it was, wait, all I want is to hear together. I just want to hear the same voice with people. I don't really want to do anything. I just want to be able to hear together, you know, because the course tells me there's one voice speaking to us all. And I've even practiced that in the 12 steps. They have, 
you know, the um, structure of a sponsor and, you know, you pray with a sponsor about, you know, actions or steps in your life. And so that has just, you know, developed. And so me and Dale do that and then it extends. And now I've, you know, quite a few 30 relationships with inmates that uh, call me, you know, some have a, a appointment once a week that fits for them. Some call when they're available, you know, some I work with on different aspects and, you know, I got a guy calling this afternoon. He calls every uh, Wednesday at three o'clock. And I was just writing a post about this guy uh, before before we did this. And this guy has really his transformation is just incredible. When I first met him, he's doing 51 years for a nonviolent crime. And so he went in at 19. And so he has a deep belief that he was unfairly treated, which the course says, beware of the temptation to perceive others or myself as unfairly treated. So when I visit him, we go into these beliefs and, you know, and he's open and he's like, he wants to see things a different way. And I'll actually read something right here that I have on my screen. He wrote this to me just the other day and it just made me, you know, feel so good that I wanted to share it with others. So I'm writing a post about it. But he writes, his name's Rob Morris. He's uh, doing some time in London uh, Correctional Facility. He says, all right, dude, that was the major news from my end. I'm just happy. Here's a guy doing 51 years, and his news is, I'm just happy. <laughs> he says, I'm able to soak up some of this positivity that is floating around me lately. Or was it always capital? Or was it always there? just waiting for me to open myself up and be able to receive the miracles that are up for grabs by everyone. I'm telling you, bro, just having this new epic journey with Sock, and he refers to his intuition as Sock from The Peaceful Warrior. Having this new epic journey with Sock waiting nearby does crazy stuff, man. Tank care, and as always, safe travels. Much love to you and yours, Rob. And so, you know, this is what activates me now when I have this connection with another human being that seems to be in a prison halfway across the country. But actually, when I speak from my heart and share what's going on in my mind, they respond and they can relate. And so that's kind of how the prison ministry started, uh, how I started to hear it. It started through that one relationship and it has grown. You know, I'm going out in two weeks to Chillicothe, Ohio. I'm actually driving out to... Uh, to from utah out to ohio this time and i'll be visiting with every time i go there's more you know because guys just keep showing up with dale's class they just start getting activated themselves and hey and then he turns them on to me and we start connecting and then i either write letters or there's online ways to communicate now and you know the first time i went i just visited dale the second time i might have done that twice and then it was four guys and then it was eight guys and then it was 10 guys. And this time it'll probably be 12 or 14 guys. And, you know, I actually start creating these holy relationships with the guards and they're like, Jeff's back, you know, and they know I come in the morning and afternoon sessions and just, you know, start create relationships with the chaplains and the people there to just start carrying this message, you know, uh, that I was so freely given. So that's kind of how it, uh, how it happened. Wow. Amazing. I have one question um, before we go on. How, are you allowed to say the names of these people on a podcast? I am. Yeah. In fact, some names. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, on my sure. sure. Yeah. In fact, on my website, um, 
I have what's called, uh, so my website is last-step.org. And when you go on there, there's a um, there's an about section and it says our team. And when you click on our team, it shows all the inmates and it gives you their mailing address. So if I write a post that you, you know, something resonated and you want to connect, these guys are just hungry to, <laughs> to, you know, to extend and to hear about people's miracles and to share their own. And uh, so they, I have their contact and I've gotten all their permission to post uh, things online and they're more than happy. They're thrilled. You know, I share about these guys. And then when I tell them, you know, about the, it's, it's having a practical experience. You know, you can hear that a butterfly flaps its wings and, you know, whatever it is, Thailand and it, <laughs> I forget the saying, and it's felt somewhere else. But when they hear about, Hey, I shared this about you on, I shared something when I was on a podcast and then people are calling me from around the world and I say, Hey man, someone in, you know, someone in England or, you know, Dublin, they know about you and they're like, what? <laughs> you know, And then they start experiencing it within their own prison that they start to see these things show up. So yeah, so it's quite fine that their names are used or in heard. I've, I've passed it by them. Okay, perfect. And I just wanted to make sure before I published something that shouldn't be there okay. sure yeah yeah the podcast is at present heard in 51 countries so you can tell them that <laughs> mm, i will yeah so let's continue on that so you you go there you speak with these people and you get go deep into the topic of of what's on their minds right and on your mind and that and that has a Absolutely. very deep healing effect for everyone involved, right? I get that absolutely. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's right on. And you know, as you know, that you practice the course, it's all for me and my own healing. Um, but these are the relationships that are given, and the ones show up. I go there, and you know, seeing it's my mind. But I'll tell you, I've sat with guys that some guys that are in this one guy in particular, Oscar he may never get out he's in for um for life and but we sit from the first time i met this guy we were just in tears for half of the you know and we're just and i'm sharing core stuff and i'm god is he's got this thing now he goes around his prison he just says god is and his friends say period and they all like are cheering you know sharing these these teachings but yeah we, we go into you know some of them, um, as you can imagine, their life in prison, they have um, extreme forgiveness opportunities. Not that there's degrees of miracle in, uh, in forgiveness, but, but they seem to have these things like the guy I just shared. He's in for 51 years for a nonviolent crime. And so he has a difficulty with that belief about being unfairly treated. And others, you know, there's things that they've done that are perceived by the world that are very, you know, extreme. And so we go into it and we talk about some of them have done victim panels with, you know, some have done to their family and their families have come in for victim panels. And a lot of these guys are able to open up um, in a way with me. I'm just, you know, I was given this path. I was actually pretty much in training since, you know, eight years ago started to hold the space for people and, you know, the space of non-judgment that the course shows us how to do. And, you know, practice true empathy, not to see these these guys as different. And then they're able, they feel that and they're able to open up and and share some of the emotions that maybe they never got to before. And then we look at the, we do look at the beliefs and start to question them. And every time they start to have experiences and, you know, it is actually really amazing to watch some of these guys. This guy, Michael, 
to watch him light up when he starts to share, you know, second time I talk to him, you know, first time it's, we start to get, get our feet wet. And then when they start to get into the, the depth of this, they're like, Oh man, everything you're talking about, it's happening to me, the synchronicities and all these things. And it's, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't aim to teach. I aim to demonstrate the best I can. And I say, don't take my word for it experiment with the truth like practice try this out and then it doesn't matter you know the whole the whole point it doesn't matter our environment and they have <laughs> seemingly a lot of them have a lot of free time you know while they're there to uh to focus their mind on this stuff and and so yeah it's been quite a blessing to to be able to go to the depth with these guys Yeah, this is this is very deep stuff. When I think about prisoner being a prisoner of of certain ways of thinking or even material ways of experience, like you were saying, you stopped working in a regular job eight years ago, which is a huge thing to do, right? And that's like, and you did you experience your previous life like a prison or something? I would have to say, I would have to say, yes, I actually, uh, I worked in a family business in a small town and actually the, the work environment that I was in, I worked in a sheet metal shop. So if no one has ever been into a sheet metal shop, there's no windows. And so, and so especially, um, I suffered from, uh, <clears throat> dependence on alcohol and drugs. So I didn't see the light of day for pretty much the entire winter months. I would go to work at five o'clock in the morning and it was pitch black and I'd work inside all day and then I'd go home in the, in the pitch black. And so that was just a reflection of where my mind was at. Yeah. I mean, that's where, you know, certainly there's, there's thoughts about, you know, I was in a prison of my own mind at the time, but yeah, you know, every step that I took of letting go of, you know, whatever it was, a job and those things. And, you know, that was me facing my own fears at the time to open up to what he would have me do. And all that has been used with, with these guys. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's, there's some, and you know, I've never actually spent time inside of a prison. So I have to relate it to the prison of my mind and where I was at in a small town or a sheet metal shop or what have you. Uh, and so then it becomes relatable when I speak on that level. Yeah. Yeah, I know I I I was listening to lectures by anthropologists who spoke of of their experience in in school as as incarceration, which was pretty fascinating <laughs> how they they used the language of being a prisoner for their experience in boarding school. So that was interesting. Mm. <laughs> just as a reflection yeah. on the fact that we all are prisoners of our own mind when we we don't allow ourselves to open up to love right sure yeah so yeah there's a lot of people who go through things that they feel are like prison but of course it's not the actual prison in the sense of for the walls no. of a, a prison where you were incarcerated for something or other but you do are yeah. doing in your own you are locking yourselves up to so much from so much right that is there for you within you yeah yeah and if we if we take it to the ultimate sense time is is the biggest prison of all and that's probably 
what I focus on with these guys the most because being in that environment, the most common thing is I'll be happy when <laughs> I'm released or when I'm paroled. So some of the guys seem, you know, to open up maybe quicker in my perception that have life. You know, this guy, Oscar, he started a thing lifers with purpose because he knows he's never, so he doesn't have that illusion that something's going to be better in the future. And so it's interesting for them, but the guys, and I've had guys, you know, just recently, I mean, it's continual that they're up for parole. And so we work on watching the mind, you know, about the thoughts like, hey, we need to let go of expectations about, <laughs> am I going to be paroled? And <laughs> seemingly, again, and these, these things are very difficult, but I try to teach what I would learn is there's no degree of difficulty in it. And, you know, but there's such an expectation I want to get out. And then, you know, we look at this. And I have several guys that just went up for parole and they got refused, you know, and they've been in some of them for a long time. Some of them are in for six years and they're coming up and they actually come up every year. And then, you know, next year it could be another. And so it's like I said, you have, you know, I'm, I'm teaching the same things that I want to learn. And the course teaches me and promises me the immediacy of salvation, you know, and uh, you have cause for happiness now. And we go into that and they start to get glimpses of it and they're like, wow. And so that's what, you know, we use everything that, that shows up in this, their environment. And, you know, some of some Dale actually has an automatic outdate. Uh, the one that I spoke of that this started with me and Dale Crow, he, uh, he has an automatic outdate but then just recently he got up for a judicial review. And so we together looked at all the thoughts like, well, and you know, he's very into his function and his purpose. So it was, you know, there was an acceptance. There was some frustration, of course, when he went and everybody said yes, except for the victim's family showed up and objected. And so the prosecutor and the judge said, okay, we're gonna have him do the remainder, at least half of the remainder of his time, which he has four years left he's been in for about 20 years and he has this okay my function's not done here i got all these guys and we're starting this whole prison ministry maybe i'm supposed to be here and you know that shows up but then also it's like you know i give them the space to well share your frustrations <laughs> don't ghost over and say that i mean well that it may be true in the ultimate sense and so he was able to to get in stuff in touch with some of the anger around you know the family or whatever it was, but it's just, you know, he actually said to me right away, he's like, man, I must have more forgiveness to do. I thought I forgave. I go, yeah, that's, that's common. We all, <laughs> we've forgiven some, but it stops coming back into our awareness when we completely forgive it. The course teaches us that, you know, once it's forgiven, we don't have to experience those things anymore. So it's just another, uh, another example of that time piece, you know, that, and I know guys that have been in solitary and some, there's a guy, Brandon, who he literally had his spiritual experience in solitary confinement. So he was, you know, all elements of time and even the, <laughs> if you want to call it luxuries that you can have inside, you know, with the commissary and, you know, outside time and the gym and all that. He had none of that. And it forced him to go much deeper inward. And he had a spiritual experience. And then he started calling me and, you know, just to, and I shared some of my experiences just so that he had something to relate to. But uh, yeah, that's the ultimate prison is time that we're all trying to escape from. Yeah. You were also speaking about addiction, right? Uh, to drugs. And what came to my mind in A Course in Miracles, it says the only addiction we have is to guilt. So 
So when, how do you relate to that? Yeah, yeah. I think um, as I started off, you know, I had this allegiance to the ego, which is basically the belief in guilt that I separated from God, which is what time is, <laughs> the belief in guilt. It's all, you know, this this addiction to guilt, judgment, same thing. It's all, you know, relatable in that sense. For me, it's actually probably easier um, to identify when, when I hear those words because of the cycle I was in that brought me to self-destruction. I was crushed by a self-imposed crisis and seeing that it was my own shame and guilt that was right, you know, driving me. It was like, I kept thinking I had a choice, you know, so it all comes back to this idea of choice for me that I believe I have a choice in form. And then of these illusions, which do I prefer when it's all, you know, the illusion of choice, but even that choice, that's why the rules for decision, I focus on that with a lot of guys and myself daily, because when I let go believe <laughs> that I'm deciding and I can step back from, I will make no decisions myself today. For me, that's the release from guilt. Because when I make a decision myself and I was given this path of 12 steps with a sponsor, just me joining with a sponsor in prayer relieves myself of believing that I'm making choices. So I'm relieving myself of that guilt by joining with a brother, you know, Jesus tells us where two or more are joined. And now I've strengthened that through community living and still connecting with the ones that I know there. And then with the people I work with in, in prison, I practice the same thing. Hey, let's pray about that. You know, whether guys have, you know, funds they want to do something with, or regardless of what the, the topic is, it's like coming to this present moment to hear together to alleviate that idea that I'm doing, you know, this autonomy that I believe I, I have, that I have this little space between birth and death to do with what I want. That's my whole problem. That's the, that's the generator for me, guilt. So when I hear those words, uh, the addiction to guilt, it resonates deeply because of my past and having the, the addiction problems and that shame that just kept, you know, coming back and then ultimately seeing, oh my God, I was, I was a puppet. I didn't, I didn't have a choice every time there was a drug or drink before me. My, I was just reacting to, uh, to something. So, yeah, so that, that line resonates, you know, very deeply. And the other part of the course, that, you know, was very helpful for me with that is, you know, the misdirected miracle impulse that it was all my desire for God. You know, um, I hear someone share the line that everything is the inappropriate desire to be at one with God, regardless if it's sex addiction, drugs, alcohol, we can take it all the way. Breathing, anything that I think I need or desire for is just, it's a false, you know, it's a false cause and effect thing, but it's like, it's actually the inappropriate desire for me to be at one with God deep down under all the layers. That's what's driving me is this, you know, this true desire for the peace of God. peace of God that's the ultimate um, acceptance right of who we are mm. yeah, and of course the miracle says that's the only the only thing we actually need <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah accept that's, that's it the peace of God is my one goal 
So yeah, we we all are struggling with similar things to to what you're describing as issues for prisoners. Like, um, I'll be happy if um, if I get this, uh, things will be wonderful, and this and that, right? Mm-hmm. That's not just a, a prisoner's issue, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a common common theme in the mind that. Uh, somewhere in the future is where my salvation lies when you know christ is teaching me the immediacy of salvation that you know what i had shared the cause i have a cause for happiness now trying to go to this holy instant and you know that's the way the way to it is by this you know joining with a brother and praying together and exposing the thoughts and you know when i this other guy uh jared that um i work with inside he was another one, man. When I sat down with him, he, this guy is six foot six, 300 and something pounds. And he comes in and, you know, most of these guys look pretty intimidating and I just feel their heart. You know, even the first time I met Dale, Dale walked in the room and my heart just was like, oh, I had this, you know, some people I see, I have a reference to people from my past. And he reminded me of my uncle Joe and I just felt his heart. And I was like, oh my God. And this guy, Jared came in and we just, and there was no words to start. He just started crying, this big guy, you know, and, you know, he's in for 30 something years and he just sat and just cried. And, and he had all this gratitude just for this guy who doesn't know him showing up. And meanwhile, I'm grateful that this guy would even see me. (laughs) So there's this, you know, there's this, I've been just coming in to a deeper sense, even on the last trip I made of what the course talks about and practically experiencing um, the appreciation is from the worthy to the worthy that um, the course talks about. And I'm just touching on that to a degree that like <laughs> makes my heart like really swell. And when I get into those moments and it's like, whoa, it's not what I expected. You know, this whole allegiance to the ego makes me think so much, uh, so many other things are true, but you know, it's really trying to see the Christ in my brother. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, that must be really powerful when I think of it, because even if you're not in prison, to see each other as the Christ is is quite a challenge when you you are not allowing yourself to do that. Mm. Yeah, you know, that brings up something else, Monaco, is I shared this in a post um, that I made recently or last month after my last visit. And, you know, what you just said is that, you know, it is difficult even in day-to-day life and for me i've realized it's because of the distractions you know when i go and sit with a prisoner i am full i'm in full focus and i try to focus all day long and everything i do but this is more like even with phone calls when a phone call comes in from dale or whomever it literally the the line says you have a call coming from this so it's like everything else in my life drops you know (laughs) i get a call from someone i know do i give as much attention as when this recording comes on maybe not So it's causing me to transfer the training that I'm doing with these guys to everyone. And so the call is like, okay. And then we talk and I have a set amount of time, 15 minutes. Not only that, when I'm mid sentence, the recording will come out and say, this call is being recorded by the, and so I have to pause and then check back in like, okay, is this what I really want to be sharing? Is this really what's on my heart right now? And then when I sit with these guys, it's the same thing. I go in and, you know, I have three hours most of the time, sometimes two or three with these guys. And I go in and I'm sitting 
waiting. So I have a specific amount of time and I'm sitting waiting. So there's this heightened focus for me of prayer and okay, some guys I had never seen before and they're going to walk in for the first time. I once stood up and it was the wrong guy. And I was like, okay. And, you know, he walked by me. I was like, all right, that's not the guy I'm seeing because I don't see a lot of them before the first time we sit together. And then I'm in prayer and I use that prayer. Um, you know, you show me, you show me who this is. You tell me who my guest is because I don't know. I'm. He's going to walk in. I'm going to see a toothless, tattooed, big, you know, whatever ethnicity they are. And I don't want that. You know, I want to see the Christ in my brother. And when I sit and I pray like that and, you know, listen to, you know, in my mind, repeat that holy relationship as I see him, I see myself. That was what my whole post was about. And it works. You know, I sit there and then this guy walks in and it's like, I don't I don't even ask these guys about why they're there. Some of them end up sharing it with me sometimes in the first session, sometimes later on. But it's not even like it matters, you know. Now it's we're 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 there for a holy purpose. It's not about the past. I'm trying to drop the past of my brother so that you know ultimately he he's doing the same. But it's like I had this other experience with a guy who I found out what he had done prior to meeting him, and uh, Dale had told me he's like, oh yeah, this is kind of an infamous case, and he told me, and I had someone staying at my house, and I went into the room, and they asked me when I said he's in for the rest of his life, who are you talking to? I said this guy, and she said, uh, what's he in for? And when I told her, I literally, the words came out and I told her and it felt like I was lying. I was like, that's not true. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even believe what I'm saying right now because I don't know this guy as that. And I was like, it didn't even feel true when supposedly in the realm of time, he seemingly did those things. But for me, it was an experience of that's not that's not actually true. <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't done those things. And then, of course, when I met him and the relationship started, it was like, you know, there's this. Yeah, I can't I can't picture a lot of these guys in that, you know, which is just insanity. It's the, you know, allegiance to the ego where, you know, I could have very well ended up in the same place with some of the thoughts and close calls that I had. Yeah, that's an important thing that you actually can relate to pretty much anyone, right? And in your particular case, you've found a way of relating to people who are in, in prison as the world sees it. Mm. Yeah, that's very, um, yeah, it's very, very helpful. And even my 12-step background had kind of prepared me for that as well, because I, I sponsored some guys that were, you know, essentially had pasts where they were you know gangbangers or whatever it was and it was like spirit was just using me for you know for his purposes and it's led me to this and yeah so were you ever afraid of what you're doing or or how how did that develop because you can imagine that you might have been scared when you first heard spirit telling you sure ministry yeah thank you thank you for that question monaco um initially i got invited to speak in prison uh in connecticut when uh, this was in that first year that i spoke of i was repairing the relationships uh back east before i i moved out west and i was asked to uh, go into prison there and that was a max security in connecticut and i did back then i i had a lot of fear showed up and then i wasn't allowed in because my my uncle 
the guy I told you about, Uncle Joe, was in there. And so they wouldn't allow you in if you had a relative in the prison. So I wasn't able to do that. So I did go to some juvenile places and and speak and do those things and carry the message. But initially there was, and I I had a thought then, like, wow, there was some, it was this it was this weird thing in my mind because there was a bit of an attraction to it, but there was a fear. And then when after I started hearing it, I guess there was a fear in. Uh, you know, the old, have, are you, you know, to, to JC, are you sure you got the right guy here? You know, that, that like the, I couldn't do it as far as um, maybe it was softened by my relationship with Dale that I never actually experienced fear going in or uh, in each relationship. Um, and there might be moments of that when I'm in that prayer of the guys, a new guy coming in of, uh, but not of the person really. So, yeah, I don't know that I can identify that uh, consciously, that, that there's a fear there. Um, but maybe there is, you know, some kind of anticipation that happens with, with new guys that uh, might be a reflection or a remnant of that same thought that, are you sure you got the right guy thing? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so initially there was, and, and maybe to that degree, but that's something for me to keep in mind. Thanks for asking. Yeah, that's an amazing topic because I because I and many others you know when when you get the message to do something with spirit right you're like did you really choose the right person right. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple it simply is a question that comes to mind again mm. and again when you're you're asked to do something yeah yeah and even to that um it's that I've noticed for myself as this has happened and seemingly grown into something that it was all anticipation, you know, um, that I would have to actually do something, you know, that false responsibility that shows up. I literally don't feel like <laughs> I did much to start this prison ministry. Did I learn how to do a website and that stuff? Sure. You know, those types of things. But it all literally feels like it, it is happening for me, you know. It's like by me, it's like, I don't even really, you know, the relationship was given with Dale and then it's actually inspiration that has been leading the way. It's like, I'm inspired to get movies into prison. And so I call the guy and then this guy says, yeah, you can send him here. And now I can send movies straight to Dale and he can have his own little, he runs, he's head of programming, has his own little thing with a, a bunch of books. We got David books. We got Course in Miracle books in his little room. He's got his own little storage space. And now we're starting to funnel in movies so that he can play movies at his class. And it's like where the inspiration seems to come in this, it just happens. It opens up. And that was part of what I shared that I think COVID was a blessing for me because I was trying to, at the beginning, it was that that fear was showing up as intention. Okay, how can I do this? And it was okay, let me set up. And I did make the contacts with the Nevada prisons and the chaplains and that all went great. But then COVID came and it stopped. I was like, okay, what would you have me do now? And it was this one-on-one -on -one stuff because that's actually where I want to be too, is deeper in the mind with ones questioning their beliefs so I can look at my own thoughts around all of this stuff. So yeah, it has been, been quite a blessing to see it just unfold as, you know, as I let go of the responsibilities, how it seems to happen. I have a question about the one-on-one -on -one you 
you say that you can reflect on your own thoughts that way. Is it is it true that when you listen to someone else going through all these thoughts in their minds and all these issues, that that you are um, kinder to them that you than you would have been to yourself if it had been just you in the room? Hmm. That's that's possible. I never um, considered that. You know, it's this all actually when I when I really think about this, it started with um, a relationship with a guy back east who was um, who had just. I met him the day he got out of prison. He walked into a twelve step room, and I felt this connection with him. And I had a profound miracle with him when he actually shared his uh, his story with me. And it was one of the things that society deems as the worst. Even people in prison consider the people that have committed or seem to commit this crime to be the worst of the worst. And when he shared it with me, uh, I was in my I was in my house. It was in my living room when he when he uh, when he did this, and I had the most profound experience. I mean, because I, it's the same thing as with this other guy I was sharing when someone else told me what he did. When he told me what what he uh, what he had done, I didn't think it was it. I I didn't actually think it was true. Like I was looking him in the eye, and man, he's got these soft blue eyes, and I had already felt a connection with him. And there was no thoughts. If anything, there was an identification. Not that I had ever acted on thoughts or whatever, you know, murderous thoughts or you know, rape thoughts or whatever they are. But I'd seen them go through my mind. In fact, when I had my revelatory experience, you know, <laughs> you can't explain seeing um, the face of God or whatever, uh, the great rays, and, you know, it's beyond explanation. But let me tell you, I've tried to explain to people the return to this realm, <laughs> and it was horrifying because it was all my beliefs coming back into my mind, and all those, I mean, you name the worst thoughts that could possibly go through the mind, and I saw them all. And it was like, fortunately, I had some kind of minimal understanding that it wasn't me or it wasn't my thoughts because I'd never seen him before. And I was like, what is this? I mean, you name it. And I don't want to get too, <laughs> too into it on this podcast. But when I saw those thoughts, I was like, oh, my God, that's and I started to get an understanding. You know, I got a pretty quick crash course in the metaphysics of the course before I'd even found the book about, you know, the egoic mind and the filters and all this stuff and the upside down world. And, and I was like the identification and I was like, Oh my God, those aren't, that's not me. So, well, if they're not me, they're not anyone else either, whether or not they seem to act on them or, or not. So when this guy shared that, that was my first experience of a, a pretty deep, um, what in the 12 steps you would call a fifth step when they share their, um, darkest secrets, with you and it wasn't a formal one but when he shared that i had this different this different experience it wasn't um it wasn't like i even thought it was true or thought like there was no judgment it was just like this it's just the miracle i was in the miracle not even by my own doing i just don't even know how it happened and you know from that moment with a lot of these other guys it doesn't seem to uh to come up but i think your question was uh would I be harder on myself for those those things? And, you know, that experience that I had, this revelation, you know, I was hard on myself for, for 39 years. And I had seen, thought I did the worst things and 
whatever it was. But when I had, you know, revelation for me was nothing more than seeing my innocence. And when that was seen, it's just nothing but tears of gratitude to see that I was wrong about everything. So while I still have healing to do in certain areas of my mind, I don't have, uh, those thoughts don't even come up really with, um, in regards to myself or the other guys with, with those types of, um, things that they share. Yeah, because many people think that they're much meaner to themselves than to anyone else, which which mm. I, which I'm very interesting thing because in a course in miracles, it certainly doesn't say that. <laughs> mm. Because it says whatever you are thinking is expressed right in one way or another. Sure. Yeah, and I mean ultimately, it's back to that holy. Um, encounter section that how I treat my brother, how I look at him and how I think of my brother is how I think of myself. So ultimately there's no difference in the end of how I think of him or if I'm thinking of myself. But I mean, that becomes the practice is you show me who he is because, you know, the continued practice of letting go of my own interpretations of who I think I am. I mean, I'm so far off the mark. <laughs> I've proven it time and time again that I don't even try. But with others, it's like, there seems to be something outside of me that I can quantify. And it's like, no, I have to continue to look beyond that and just continue to ask for that interpretation. So, yeah, so goes the journey. So there's so much more we could talk about, but now I would like to allow anyone who wants to ask a question or comment to do so. Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you for all your um, inspirational words. I wonder, you, you sound very uplifted, and um, I wonder how you do self-care and how you keep your spirits up and, you know, are amidst all these very difficult situations. Um, how do you keep yourself uplifted? Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Um, yeah, the... Um, the instant answer that comes is, is staying, you know, connected with, with others that I don't try to do this myself. I have uh, I have a pretty good, a big network of people that know what goes on with me. I don't spend a lot of time in um, isolation. I make sure that, you know, I'm speaking to people every day. <laughs> so that, uh, and again, this is a practice that I learned through, um, through the pathways that I've been privileged to find. And, so that piece, staying connected to others and, and exposing whatever comes into my mind when I have someone else that uh, there is an obstacle. In fact, I had one this morning show up. I have someone coming to stay and I noticed something like a thought come into my mind, like, oh, I better be careful. And I was like, wait, I don't like that thought. And so I was like, okay, what's there? And then when I saw what was going on, I have to call that person immediately and clear that, hey, this is what's going on in my mind. I want to see this differently. You know, I practice those things in my relationships because the 12 steps and the course of miracles for me are paths of healing through relationships. And so I focus on those, you know, whatever ones show up in my life, whether they're prisoners or neighbors or people that I meet in the towns I'm in, I use that, you know, the way the course talks about, I was once sitting in uh, Camas, Utah, and I was talking to an old friend and it was just a feeling in my heart of letting go of the specialness that I had had with him. And 
And so I was guided to the library and I pulled this book off the shelf, which I'd never read since. And that was the only time. And I just opened it up and there was one line in it and it said, I am held here by the gravity of my unhealed relationships. And I was like, wow, that means I need to heal, <laughs> heal my relationships. So I try not to avoid those things. And when I move towards those things in my life with friends, you know, my parents or whatever, which I don't speak too often, but if something does come up, I would speak to them or my wife or, you know, people that I deal with in uh, my prison ministry, I move towards it, you know? And so that's probably the, um, the, the initial answer of how um, I stay or try to stay in a, um, in a practice or in an uplifted state, which is really just the transfer of training that I was talking about earlier from the course. And then I do other things, you know, I wake up very early and I have sections of the course that I repeat every morning, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I read read them over and over. And uh, that seems to keep me in a place of, uh, of consistency. And that's really what my goal is to have a consistent state of mind and, uh, while exposing all this stuff, I do. I practice the rules for decision. I practice setting the goal, which is really part of the rules for decision. And, you know, there's certain sections that I just go back to um, each morning just to, and I sit, I wake up sometimes four o'clock, four thirty, and I sit until I feel the presence. You know, I'm not getting up. I don't have anything else to do. This is my, like I had shared, the peace of God is my one goal my purpose and my function in my life while I abide the aim of all my living here while I abide where I am not at home. Well, I need to take that and use it for my day. If I think I need to go work out or I need to worry about what I have to eat first, it's like, no, I got to get right with, with my internal guide here. And so I sit and I have these sections that I kind of review that, that, uh, you know, the problem and the answer is a big one for me. I read that section and every time it, it, like, it does the trick for me because it literally has for me all the answers in there. You know, do I want the problem or the answer become like little children? He says, you know, I forget to ask when I think I know I forget to ask, but a little child doesn't forget to ask. He sees ghosts and all this. And so those sections, I have certain ones that resonate deeply with me that I just go back to. And then that gets me set. You know, that gets me set for the day so that I'm willing to do what I talked about first, that I'm willing to move towards the conflict in my mind or towards the obstacles that may be appearing in my relationships. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, I I think, um, you know, when you when you listen to your inner guide and and you follow the advice, that means you're taking care of yourself. That means you're taking care of, you know, whatever it is to keep yourself in a good place whether it's sleeping or exercising or you, you know, you, you said, you know, when you're at this place, everything kind of flows and, and you're in the moment. And and so I assume you said you didn't have to work. So you just trust that that all works out or does it work out because you're being in this authentic place and your needs are being met? I mean, I'm just curious about that because so many of us struggle to work, we have to work, work, we have to work, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's a great, uh, a great question. And so yeah, what I was sharing was uh, essentially how I stay in a state of removing the obstacles so that I can hear that, <laughs> that voice on a consistent basis. And, you know, another piece of that is sharing with others to say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. What do you feel? And then getting clear on that so that I can move in that direction. And then I have experiences like I did, I shared at the beginning this morning where I'm 
in activation or the way I talk about, or I'm in this uplifted state of vibration or in purpose, however you want to describe it. So yeah, that's the ultimate thing is just listening to that voice. And so for me, that has been the answer. And, you know, I am provided for when I follow the voice for God, when I walked out of my, uh, so I worked as I had shared for, for, uh, 22 years for, um, a family business and it wasn't easy for me to, uh, walk out. Now I, I said, I left on a Friday. I went to recovery, had revelation. I realized that the world's not what I thought. And so, but I still had to face the relationship with my father and disappointing the one man I was trying to, uh, get his approval my entire life. So that was a healing process, but I was, um, intent on um on following this path or calling or the internal guide that was telling me there's something else to my life and so i'm shown miracles each step that i take and you know the course even talked about i need a whole bunch of miracles to convince me it's the spirit's job to convince me you know i just have to show up and ask and continue to do the work and so i went in and the day that i actually um quit my job um, my father wasn't sure that I was coming back to work or not. And I went in and I sat with my father and my, my business partner at the time. There was three of us and I sat down and I just looked them both in the eyes and I said, listen, um, I'm never, I'm never coming back. I, uh, there's something else for me in this lifetime and I can't come back. And when, when I spoke from my heart, you know, my biggest fear is reaction or people aren't going to like me, you know, or certainly it was much more powerful back then eight years ago. I was shown nothing but love. Like they literally supported me. They continued to pay me for a year. For me, that was what divine providence looked like. But then it was the, the symbols that showed up. When I faced this biggest fear of leaving my, my lifetime career, I walked out the door and I was no more than six steps from the front door going to my car and I get a message on my phone. It buzzes and I look at it and it's a voice message and I sit in my car I had just quit my job of my entire life to my father and I sat in the car and this is a guy I hadn't heard from in three or four years at this point. And I play the message and his message said, Hey, I just wanted to give you a call. I know I haven't spoken to you in a long time, but I just got out of a, a interview with Forbes magazine and they asked me, <laughs> makes me emotional. They asked me, who do you know that missed their calling in this life? And he said, you were at the top of the list. And this was his message to me. Now, did I go find, you know, follow business or that? No. But for me in that moment, it meant the world. <laughs> this was God speaking to me saying, you're going to be fine. You don't need you know, to provide for yourself in the way that you thought or to take this way. And, you know, it has been nothing but those miracles as I've moved along the path. And each time, and each time. something shows up. Got a little feedback. Each time something shows up, whether it's, you know, moving out here. I moved out here and I bought this house that I'm living in. And when I, I came with Dave and we were traveling only for a day and we looked at like six houses and this house was like, okay, yeah, the price and this. And I went back and I said, Dave, I really feel this one house with my heart. And he's like, okay. And we just kind of prayed together and so I called the the guy, and when I called him, I said, "Hey, I'd like to make an offer on one of the houses." He goes, "Oh, before you make an offer, he goes, this one just dropped sixty grand." I was like, "Well, let me drop my my uh, what I'm going to offer," and so those types of things keep showing up. So it's just like 
you know, divine providence looks different for all different types of people. And, you know, little things show up as well. As soon as I feel to donate money to whatever, I go and do that. And then a check shows up in my mailbox from the government or something. And it's like, but it continually happens when I continue to question the belief that I have to provide for myself or that literally all I have to do is follow the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so when I face those fears, he just shows me flags all along the way saying, keep going. <laughs> You're fine. There's nothing you, you need to do. That's, that's really inspirational. Um, I'm a psychotherapist and I work very hard with people and listening to their inner voice and their guidance. And um, it really is true. Once people start living from that place of truth without fear, I've seen it, things start working out, but we get so stuck, you know, in fear and not thinking we're gonna have enough or whatever that you can't see from that higher perspective. So, so it's your, you're an inspiration to me because it's a daily struggle, you know, for, for us to stay in that place of thinking. Hmm. Thank you, Julie. I also, uh, my name is Helena. I, I also want to um, ask you, it's, maybe it's not ask, it's just um, my appreciation for everything what you do um, with um, Jeffrey, uh, with all your, um, your kind of model for lots of people that um, with um, people who have addiction and uh, for, uh, I, I think everybody have all kinds of addictions. It doesn't matter what. We addict, we addict to anything in this life it's there is and um, you are um, kind of model for all people uh, for me include that um, your life it's what you're done in your life and what you do now and uh, and um, especially for matter that I worked for uh, for department of corrections um, mm. So I stopped work in 2018, Department of Corrections, Washington State, and um, I just speaking from my heart, I very appreciate what you do, uh, because uh, I work at in the Department of Corrections, and uh, I see lots of volunteers and lots of people who was um, working here uh, with open heart, and this is people they. They just like um, angels. They are just so amazing that I remember when I usually go to work in the morning. And sometimes, if we have some uh, special event in in prison, and there was like hundreds of volunteers, they come in. They just it's amazing people. They are super, uh, super kind, super passionate for what they do. Uh, and it's just you you're one of them <laughs> of course it's your ministry and you're doing a lot and I just appreciate for what you do from button on my heart because I do I know what that mean what you do I know 
I and I feel my heart. Thank you very much. Hmm. Thank you so much, Eliana. Yes. Wow. We're going deeper, huh? The next question might be a little different in tone because I would like to ask you about your writing. You you said you write posts and you share about these things in writing. How, how does that work for you? Hmm. Yeah, so it kind of it kind of works the same way. Um whenever my heart <laughs> my heart uh, expands or with a interaction or um a letter or what have you um or my own forgiveness opportunity um typically that's what drives a lot of it is when there's a shift in my own mind um or i see something differently than i maybe did the day before but you know that's accompanied by this you know expansion then that's the moment I know it's time to uh, it's time to get this out. And I uh, admittedly probably don't do it as much as I should. You know, I actually have a, a lot of those things go on and I tend to think that I have other things to do. And then every time that I write or I share, um, I share it on my website, which doesn't get a lot of traffic because I don't really promote it or anything. But my uh, I'll put it on Facebook and I have a few friends. And then the reflections I get from that are, are overwhelming you know and you know this is maybe even a prompt for me to start uh to start sharing it uh to a little bit more uh frequency and the ones that i get because i write down like a note a lot of times like oh I, I should share this one and then seemingly you know travel or what have you may come in the uh come between it but uh yeah that's usually how it shows up you know it'll be like as soon as i read something that you know this one i just said that this guy rob and sometimes I'll read it to someone else and they'll be my, my reflection. They'll say, you need to post that. And I'll be like, yeah, you're right. You know, whether I had heard it before or not, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're right. I should probably do that. And so, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a good reminder, but yeah, it comes from that. It comes from the, uh, the heart, you know, if there's an expansion or I feel something with something that someone writes me or our interact, certainly after I make a trip out there, I almost always have to, to share about what went on. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the answer, I think. Yeah. The reason I ask about writing is because we all are writers here and, mm. and we meet regularly to write together. So we're very interested in other people's writing processes as well and where they get their inspiration from. Yeah, my my stuff is very brief too. I kind of just uh, try to stay to the point, and because uh, I know from my own thing, I don't like to read a lot of. <laughs> if I'm reading a post or something, I don't like to go on for a while, so I try to get to straight to the heart of it pretty quickly, and uh, I kind of write from my own uh, vernacular, my own point of view. So it comes through uh, the character Jeffrey a little as well. Yeah, I think we're all, um, you know, connecting in that way. You know, it's it's the the character and the spirit that join in these mm -hmm. in these sharing because because that's the way it's supposed to be because of our special function, I believe. Mm. Otherwise, 
otherwise the character wouldn't be there anymore <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's a great point and i see it all the time want to go with the guys that i work with because you know even the little bit i read um to you uh from this guy rob you know there's a way that we communicate that it still comes through <laughs> the character jeffrey that you know you know i can communicate to these guys in a way that maybe some others you know wouldn't be comfortable with or or what have you but uh you know this relationship i have with this guy rob it started out with you know talking about the cincinnati bengals and i had to freshen up a little because i hadn't watched sports in about eight years so I had, I had to look at a few highlights so i knew who was playing not a single person uh was still playing the game that when i watched and so you know but i used it as a backdrop you know um and then of course i use movies a lot and then it was the peaceful warrior and then these things and you know even the way uh i interact with dale or have you know different guys yeah that that language or yeah it's kind of uh it's kind of interesting and i got a i got a funny story uh i was uh i was in mexico with with david and uh david for me is just a, a symbol of the spirit and uh just this channel of and one time he spoke to me like he was getting out of the crazy and i think he said like I love you, bro, or something the way I would speak. And I was like, oh, he's just really like, he's just in the zone and he just hears and, and delivers. And so I want to be that for these guys. You know, I want to be that, you know, speak what the words that he will give me, you know, to communicate and reach guys. And, you know, even this other guy I sat with last time, it was a first time. And, you know, as soon as he came in, there was a little bit of, you know, he didn't know who I was and this. And so then we found the vein and it was music and it was like, and then he just, he just lit up and I was sharing about literally stuff from the eighties and nineties that I remember spiritual messages in. And I was like, man, have you ever listened to the stain song? He's talking about awake. And he's like, yeah. And you know, and then all it's used to, uh, yeah, to fulfill that special function that you spoke of. So yeah, I want to remember that so that I can be used in that way as well and not not push it away and think it's not spiritual or something like that when it happens. Yeah, that, that's also very important because um, the character that we, we uh, for some reason, have create, um, made, right, or whatever, um, to get home, it's being used, right? So... Mm. So it's not the contrary of spirit, like some people think, right? Mm. It's being used. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to share a little bit about what exactly changed in your mind when, when you had that revelation? Because I know you, you said your life was pretty, um, pretty intense before and then it lightened up, but, but what was that change? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> as I shared, I didn't have much spirituality in my life. And so I remember I was 11 years old. I was on the stairs of my house when I asked my father, uh, what happened when we died? And uh, my father, being a pretty much devout atheist, said, uh, we rot in the ground. And as an 11-year-old, that was a terrifying thought, that the, an endless abyss of nothingness. Like, so um, I, was very, I was very afraid of that. And I was afraid of uh, 
actually the idea in in school when they talked about endless space i was like well what do you mean it goes on forever <laughs> how is that possible <laughs> you know the things i couldn't wrap my head around but it brought up a, a deep fear a deep fear in me um and so it actually wasn't until high school uh when i was in geometry class and someone uh my professor or uh, he was saying he was explaining infinity, but then he, uh, instead of space going to infinity, he said, well, if you walk halfway to that wall and then you continue to walk halfway, you'll never get there. That's another realm of infinity. And I was like, oh, and that was almost like the first time there was something like, wait, we go inward as much as we go outward forever. <laughs> so there was like this continuum. thing, And so it relieved for some reason in my mind, that fear of infinity. But, uh, a fear of God was was overcome in that moment. I didn't know God existed. I had thought I had abandoned him and all the belief in separation was true for me. I was the I was the living prodigal son. I have a brother who's three years older than me that was uh, a straight A student, had never touched alcohol or drugs in his life, um, married with the family and the kids and all this. And so I had this, uh, you know, this failure thing and not as good as my brother going to a high degree. So I was that, uh, that prodigal son story from the Bible as well. So when I had this, uh, this experience, it was the release of, uh, of all the guilt that we had talked about. And, uh, it came in phases. Actually, uh, I was sitting in the room, um, with my parents when the first like upheaval, it wasn't what I call revelation. It was more of, um, a spiritual awakening, um, and this was like, you know, whatever, there's a lot of words for it, uh, you know, as far as all the chakras opening and, you know, the uncoiling and, but the energy of God flowed through me and I was in tears in the room and it was the first time I had purpose in my life. They had just got done reading uh, the 12th step when it happened to me. And I turned to my mother and I said, mom, God's real. And she said, I know. And I said, no, you, uh, <laughs> you would never worry again if you knew this. And for the next six hours, I walked around the property in my Eckhart Tolle experience where I just saw, you know, everything as it was, you know, no past and no, no future seeing things as they were. They sparkled, it was snowing out. It was, uh, it was completely dreamlike, but I still didn't, this was just my introduction to my relationship with the spirit inside. Um, the, the kingdom of heaven is within me. But the depths of that experience went on later that evening when I watched a movie. I actually watched August Rush. Um, and that movie is about following the inner guide uh, through music and very beautiful movie. And it made my heart, uh, you know, swell. And I went back to my room and I surrendered to a deep. Now I'm at this point, I'm vibrating like and it's like i didn't know really what was going on i just knew that something was happening um that was not me and when i sat on the bed just before what i call uh you know the revelation which was god you know the direct contact with me i said things i said uh if you'll have me give up my life so be it whatever you'll have me do so be it and i said three or four things and when i said the final one it was as if my heart opened up and like something emanated from my chest. That was the way it seemed, but it just, you know, the world disappeared and it was the great late whereas there's no way to explain it. And, you know, the Lucy movie, Alpha Omega, you see everything that's ever happened, you know, all of it, you know, all happened and, you know, and it lasted forever. And I knew all this already happened and I knew, you know, all the stuff that the course talks about, I knew in the Holy instant. And it was like, and when I, 
seemed to come back from that experience to my room and sitting on my bed. Now I'm just like, Whoa. now I'm like times a hundred this, this presence. And there was actually a light shining from behind my head that was emanating the room. And I was like, and it was in my consciousness, not in the room, but I certainly turned around to see where it was coming from. And, uh, you know, sat there and it was just like, I repeated that whole night, two words. I said, no doubt over and over and over and over again because I didn't want to forget. I knew that my mind, that ego would be coming back sometime. And I just kept saying, no doubt. I didn't want to forget. You know, I didn't want to forget. And in that experience, I was shown my innocence and all these things. So what it showed me ultimately is that the world wasn't real. You know, I had a practical experience that pierced the veil. And so how could I ever go back to buying expensive watches or like, wait, this actually means nothing. You know, I had some cool things happen around that time where my watch actually fell off and I saw it as a symbol of time falling away, you know, a day before my experience. And I was like, it was like one of my most prized possessions at the time. And, you know, so all that stuff just showed me that there's something else going on. You know, I felt the presence of God and then I saw that this is, <laughs> this is actually not, not what I thought. And so, you know, I couldn't, I was a metaphysical Nazi at the beginning. I went straight to the woman that run the place and I'm like, Hey, it's already, it's all already happened. It's over. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to explain to her. So of course they're like, okay, we need to give this guy some drugs. But, uh, I didn't, I knew that something else, it happened exactly the way the 12 steps are written. It, you know, I realized I was powerless. I realized I was insane and that something else could restore me to sanity. And I made a surrender and that's what happened. And I was like, so I, I did what they told me for a couple of months, but then, you know, I didn't follow those protocols and the same thing. I couldn't go back to work. Even the first sponsor I had in recovery was like, I think you should go back to work. You have a great business there. And I said, I'll do anything you tell me <laughs> except that. And, you know, because I, 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 there was certain, things I knew to my core. And so things that I wouldn't do that he told me was like, all right, I think you should live with your parents for six months because my floors were getting sanded while I was in recovery. And I was like, okay, I didn't want to do that. That was a spirit speaking through him. And I repaired those relationships in the next six months because I lived with my parents and they saw the devotion and the truth for once, the honesty. I had been lying for 22 years about absolutely everything. And so I needed to do those things. But as far as going back to the world and worldly things, I had seen too much, you know, um, it happened at, at a point in my life that it needed to happen. Some people, you know, they say, oh, why did it, it doesn't happen to me? I needed it. I would, <laughs> I probably, if it wasn't that powerful, I probably would have went back. I actually did try to go back and play hockey and, uh, cause I really thought I loved hockey. So for the next year that I was in uh, Connecticut, I tried skating and, and playing, but there was something missing, of course. You know, there wasn't, it was an egoic pursuit for me to uh, excel. And there was, was there some true desire in skating that I, I, I loved it? Sure, I'm sure there was something there for me, but I couldn't play. I couldn't, I mean, I played well. People were like, man, you're all over the ice, you're seeing everything, but I didn't enjoy it the way I did before. It wasn't what I was after. But even that, I was stubborn and my body spoke to me first. I had broken my neck as a result of a drunken incident when I was 26. And when I was 39 is when it showed up where my body started going numb. So I had to get neck surgery. 
and I had to quit playing hockey because I was <laughs> stubborn and I, I wasn't yet following my calling. I stayed on the East Coast for a year and I still think it was, you know, exactly what I needed, but there was something deeper calling me out of this world. And so that's the way it uh, kind of worked. And that's why I saw things differently after that experience. So thanks again for that question. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's helpful. So what would you, how would you suggest that one finds out how to follow one's calling? Because, you know, it's, it's a big, big thing to, to say one has a calling and, and it often is used, I think, by the ego to tell you this is what you're supposed to do and to recognize that it actually is your calling and not, not just ego trying to get you on an idea that you are spiritual. Sure. <clears throat> and I can tell you the way it worked for me, um, whether or not that would work for other people. Because I understand your question and, you know, the the idea that the ego may may get in there. But the spirit, you know, the Course tells me the spirit can use what the ego made. So even my dislikes or my likes and my attractions. So the first thing I did was uh, after I quit the uh, my job there and I was still in Connecticut for a year, I volunteered to, um, I loved lacrosse. I played uh, lacrosse as well as hockey, but <clears throat> I coached I coached high school lacrosse and I used that to hear the spirit. You know, I used, okay, I love, I love lacrosse. The high school just started a team that year in my hometown where I went to a private school and had been playing for, you know, 20 years. They just started a team. So it was like, wait, it's three minutes from my house. And, you know, so the symbols lined up. But then when I went there, I had to still watch my mind. And when I walked in and the coach was like, oh, we're so happy that you're here to help us. You can do whatever you want. What do you want to do? What does Jeffrey? Jeffrey wants to go play with the uh, the leading attackmen, the best guys, and show them how to shoot around the back. And, but what I heard was, where are the guys that don't know how to throw? And I was like, Okay. I was like, we're the guys that don't know how to throw. And I worked with all the guys that didn't even know how to throw a ball, the freshmen. And the, and I went over and I worked with them. And by me following that, it strengthened that team to a degree that me going to follow that egoic. So I used, you know, hearing this internal guide with, you know, what was provided or what my, if I had no need for a job and all those thoughts that people tell you, what would you do? And so that was how it started for me. But then I had to go, my journey went much, much deeper. I had to go beyond personal inspiration. I would have never told you that my, what I wanted to do in my life was go visit. I don't go and people are like, oh, you going on vacation again? I'm like, I just tell them, yeah, now. Like, yeah, I'm going to Ohio or <laughs> I'm done telling them that. I don't vacation. I literally, the place I want to go is to <laughs> see the high security prisons and speak with guys. Like, it's not what I ever would have imagined. But I had to go through um, a lot of unwinding for me to see um, what inspiration actually was, because I didn't know inspiration is actually not personal either. It can start that way, the way it did for me with, you know, going to, you know, coach lacrosse and those things. But then there was something deeper calling me where I wanted to, you know, go deeper into the mind. So it brought me to a conference in, you know, Manhattan, where I met David and the Living Miracles community. And then I went there and and so whatever this phase of my life to follow this, uh, which feels, you know, someone just shared with me the other day and my response was, they're like, this feels, uh, this is your calling. And, you know, it's 
It's like, you know, it does feel, I said, well, for now, and I'm like, wait, this does, you know, when I have the moments of activation or inspiration, just by, even my wife, when she was here last time, she lives in Mexico um, with the ministry down there. And uh, she came to visit and, you know, for the week that she was here, uh, we did some things that we had to take care of. And then she went out uh, to do something on one of the final days and she came back and when she came in the house, she just looked at me and she's like, wow, the love in your eyes, what are you doing? And I said, oh, <laughs> I'm just writing letters to guys upstairs that I had been putting off because my wife is here and I should spend time, all those, you know, whatever. I was still, <laughs> still working first, but it was like, you know, those things are my pointers to what, you know, the spirit would have me, you know, have me do. And so, yeah, you know, and you say special function and it does, it feels that way. Even I was um, fortunate enough to get to speak with Judy uh, Scott. She had me on uh, Miracle Voices and she just made her transition uh, yesterday. And I was fortunate enough to uh, get to, to speak with her before that. And uh, how grateful am I for that? And she just started talking to me and we had such a great conversation about her experience with prison ministry and all this stuff. And it was like, oh, wow, like I never could have imagined it. But I had to follow those little steps to be shown what the next step is. So, yeah, I have to follow. The spirit led me through attraction. I was attracted to go live in community. I was attracted to that and all the different things to to get to the um, seeming point that I'm at now. But, yeah, I guess that would be uh, the answer to how, how I found. Uh, you know, and the course tells me that, yeah, in this world, like you had started to talk about Wanako with, the character of Jeffrey, there's a special, you know, my function in heaven is creation. My function in this world is actually forgiveness, but my special function may look different. It might be a singer. It might be a podcaster. It might be a, you know, talker. And this is what seems to be, um, you know, bringing that feeling of joy to me, uh, you know, today. And so I'm trusting that. And yeah, so that's how, how it worked for me. Thank you for sharing. Now it's getting time to wrap up. So is there anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to answer anyways? No, nothing, nothing comes to mind, Wanaka. You asked some very good questions. I appreciate you. Wonderful. Then you can once again state how one can contact you if one wants to. Sure. You can actually go to uh, my website, which is last-step.org, and there is a contact button uh, there where you could uh, send me an email. So that would probably be the best way to, uh, to reach out to me. I'm also on Facebook if you are a Facebooker. I don't spend a whole lot of time there, but sometimes I post my posts there. I copy them and post them there so people can see them. Wonderful. Yeah. And please spread the word about the podcast so that many people can find it, leave reviews, and yeah, so that everyone can profit who can wants to profit from it. This is epi episode 68 already, so there's a lot of material that one can listen mm. to. And I actually had David on the podcast as well, in case you didn't know. I did. I did. I had heard. Uh, was Yeah, it wasn't long ago, I believe. 
No, it's not that long ago. It's relatively mm. recent. Yeah. And and a few others that I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then does any one of our listeners want to say something, final comment or question? No, just thank you very much. It was a really wonderful experience listening. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Okay. And thank you, Jeffrey, for taking the time and sharing about your work and your experience with following spirit. And may we all be joined in this loving fulfillment of our special functions. Mm, thank you, Wanako. Blessings to you and till next time. <laughs>